Hey, welcome back. This is episode four of the General Consensus Podcast, and I am delighted to be joined by two of my nearest and dearest friends, who I will introduce in just a moment, but just some admin to get out of the way first. Simba and Tawanda both could not join us today, but fret not because Gareth, Cindy, and Albert are more than capable of filling those big shoes. Um, so I went to high school with Gareth and Albert. We participated in a lot of extracurricular activities together and formed friendships that have extended far beyond the confines of, of the school gates. And as for Cindy, that's one of the first people I can recall knowing in my life. We've been friends, classmates, and neighbors since we're three years old. And I'm honored to have three of my friends join me in the absence of my amazing co-hosts, who unfortunately couldn't be here with us today. So, Cindy and Albert, how are you guys? I am good, thanks. Thank you for having this podcast. I'm so excited for today's conversation. And yeah, thank you for having me once again. Nice, nice. How about you, Albert? How are you doing? I'm good, thanks very much, Louis. Uh Thank you for inviting me to this podcast as well. I'm so excited and I'm looking forward to having this discussion and sharing our thoughts. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, guys. Um, I'm also, I think, equally, if not more excited than you guys. Uh, it's good because I've been you know, talking to the guys about bringing you guys on in some capacity. And uh, I'm grateful that this day is finally manifested or materialized. So basically today we mainly want to talk about Pan-Africanism in the 21st century and if time allows as well, bridging the gap between our parents' generation and ours. Um, so I'd like to start with a brief explanation of what Pan-Africanism is to a lot of people, but it's vital to preface my comments um, by telling everyone that Pan-Africanism is so difficult to describe because it doesn't denote a unified school of thought. So not everyone's in agreement with what it is. It's not like that clear cut, um, but rather it's a sort of movement which is a partial cause. Well, the fact that it's a, it's a movement and not really a unified school of thought is, I guess, a partial cause of its major shortcomings, as we'll see further down the line. So a definition for Pan-Africanism is that it's basically an umbrella term for individuals, movements, and organizations that are concerned about the plight of African people around them around the world and sort of the purpose of pan-africanism is to unite against common problems that all people of african descent face not just black people so these kind of things are they they include but are not limited to the far-reaching effects of slavery and colonialism which materialize in the form of institutionalized racism for example so my first question for you guys is do you guys think that in the 21st century, Pan-Africanism is feasible socially and politically. I think I'll let Albert go first on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Albert, what do you think? Turn under the bus. Um, I do reckon, to an extent though, but I think the most important part, I would just like to point this out, something I have noticed, where there will be people who like push for this type of movement, this narrative or any form of narrative actually, but then they'll sort of be misinformed, if you know what I mean. Like they won't have enough information and they won't tackle it the right way. So I do believe that it's it can actually make a difference. But the important part is that for the people who are actually going going for it, you know, actually going to give it a shot, it's important to make sure that you have a full on understanding of what it is exactly you're fighting for. 
Okay, I, yeah, I, I actually I fully, I fully agree with uh, what Albert said. I do think one important aspect with Pan-Africanism is that um, this focus is mainly on the decolonization of Africa. So I think, obviously, as the 21st century generation, we are living in a world where our grandparents or great-grandparents lived in the colonized Africa, and we supposedly, you know, theoretically grew up in a decolonized Africa but as you can see today as it is in theory it's not really what we see um, practically so I do think for our generation it is the time for us to actually take um, you know to take further steps in releasing Africa from I would say the shackles of colonization so it's more than just understanding what the movement is about but also why we need to focus more on Africa being for Africa and you know moving away from Africa being used by the Western world for example. No I, I agree with you Cindy and I think I think we'll touch more on what we perceive to be the next steps for our generation as regards Pan-Africanism but before that I really want to hear what Gareth thinks about whether Pan-Africanism yeah. is uh, whether it's, it's feasible in the 21st century. I think we've lost Gareth. Um, so just my perspective on um, on the question at hand is sort of quite in line with what Cindy's saying, um, but just a different angle, which is that um, I've noticed that one of the major conundrums that Pan-Africanism faces is that it had a lot of gravitas and momentum during the decolonization movement because that's, you know, that was... A big part of its driving driving push, but then it lost a lot of that momentum as newly liberated states were reluctant to compromise their independence. So, a lot of these countries, African countries, are caught between a rock and a hard place because yeah, you want you know this African unity and to be a single sort of economic force per se, um, but then you know there's a lot of cons to that as well, as we've seen quite recently with, with the UK deciding to. To go forward with Brexit because you know there are a lot of nationalist tendencies and elements in Africa that are quite prevalent, if not more prevalent than they are in, in most European countries. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of nuances when it comes to talking about you know Pan Africanism because it is a very broad topic, um, and it does deal with different social, political, and economic aspects as well. Um, but I do agree with what you said. Yeah. Um, so, so then my question becomes for, for you guys, what do you guys think are the tangible goals for Pan-Africanism? What are the goals that, you know, our generation and even the generation before us, uh, as they're still active, can look at our situation and think this is something that we can actually try to work towards achieving realistically? Realistically? Uh, I was just jump. I don't know if Gareth actually was here. <laughs> Um, I think he'll he'll unmute when he becomes available. Okay, okay no, that's fine. Sorry. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think realistically, um, it's it begins first of all with unlearning a lot of um a lot of things in terms of relying on the West, in terms of expecting assistance from the West. Um, I do think our generation can actually be the first, or you know, start. Um, something where we we grow Africa in Africa. So starting businesses in Africa, supporting African businesses, um, 
supporting our African communities because if we don't do that for ourselves, then you know the cycle remains the same. So I do think that the first step and the most important thing is to build that sense of unity and community with you know Africa and also obviously within your individual countries. But the core of it all is supporting Africans as Africans. So African business, whatever it is, but supporting each other each other in those aspects. I think that's like the first tip um to actually to actually build a sense of pride for where we come from and yeah. I I what about you Albert? What's your take on it? Uh my take on it. Um is I do agree with what Cindy is saying as well. We once we have the unity aspect down, uh it makes it easier for everything else to fall into place. So that's basically the core foundation, from what I understand. And it, w- it could be, in fact, it would be a long process because for that unity to actually come into play, you know, there's, there's going to have to be ways that can be implemented to make sure that enough people understand and enough people, you know, get to really take interest in what the movement is about. And if enough people can be educated, if enough people can be willing to understand what needs to be done, you know, it can actually be a good goal that can be achieved. It's just like, I'll just use a random example. Just like, you know, with pollution, you you hear the usual, I'll just play your part, throw your letter in the bin, you know, and then the next person will do the same thing. So I guess you kind of have the same, like a domino effect, you know, talk to the person next to you, then that person will tell someone else, share links, share articles, have these type of discussions with your friends. And once enough people do understand what the topic is about, they can start to implement it slowly. And it's not something that will happen overnight, obviously. It's something that will happen with time. But if like enough people can have the patience and the dedication to actually implement it, then definitely it can be achieved. It's only a matter of time, patience, and perseverance. No, I agree with you. That that was quite profound, Albert. I, and I, I agree with you to a greater extent because I was doing some research and I was looking at what the center of Pan African thought. Um, if you, if anybody's listening or and wants to look them up, you can find them on YouTube or on the on on on, on their website, which is pretty much our center for Pan African thought. Um, and they're the, basically the leading advocates for Pan Africanism as far as it goes for people in the diaspora, and they're based in London. And one of the things that they were saying is that one solution that is ready made for us is perhaps most importantly go from being a community of faith to community of association, and Pan-Africanism can be a vehicle for that. And what that basically means is that traditionally for people of color, specifically black people or African people, because not all African people are black, to be historically aligned with one another, they have to be of the same faith um, or tribe or creed. Um, and nowadays, you know, a lot of people, millions actually, perhaps billions, are not comfortable being a community of faith because that entails aligning our religion. Whereas if we're a community of association, you know, that could entail, you know, African spirituality, which is a totally different concept um, from African religion, which embodies the principles of Ubuntu and remembering, you know, your 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 culture and the people in your community and all of the like-minded people. 
Um, and this would also encourage us to sort of deviate from the prescriptive impositions of religion that assume certain, or that sort of impose certain expectations on, on African people and can be a bit divisive. That makes sense. So being a community of associations, and that's what I'm trying to get at, is linking that with what Albert said, is that if we can find common ground, and then everyone can do their part and thus sort of facilitating the community of association. But uh, my one other question that I did want to ask is how how much do you guys think that the demonization um, of African culture has contributed to sort of a lack of identity among even African kids that are on the African continent? So, for example, not all of us growing up in Zimbabwe will have had access, unless our parents um, were really on top of it, but access to education about our history, our culture, and, you know, our, our traditions. And how much do you think is down to, sort of like what Cindy was saying a lot earlier about the, the sort of the negatives, well, there are many negatives, but primarily traditionally associated with colonial, colonialism in that um we have to decolonize not just our land, but our minds. So how much do you think that attributes to a sort of lack of identity? I was actually thinking about that as well, as you were speaking about, I think it was when you spoke about having a common ground and everyone playing their own part as well. And I think that's, you know, has actually contributed a lot because even until now, I'm sure we've all heard it at some point where, you know, African things are considered demonic or, you know, it's considered witchcraft, sangoma, all those type of words. Like they all have a negative connotation associated with it. And now if enough people say it, you know, people are going to start to believe it. And it, it also starts from like a very young age when you, when you really think about it. Because um, when we did history, from what I remember, when we did history, especially, I'll just say high school, I'm sure I understand that not everyone took history from like form four growing up, right? But form one and two history, roughly there. We mostly learned more about you know history from like Europe, you know, Europe, United States, that type of history. They don't really touch up much on African history. And because they don't touch up much in African history, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people who actually haven't had the opportunity to learn about the history from their own country, from their own cultural backgrounds, who honestly have no clue about any of it. The only thing they'll know is the bad things that they hear people say on a day-to-day basis or from older people. And it's a, it's contributed a lot because if it's starting from a young age of like people in Form 1, Form 2, that's 13, 14, now imagine those people, as they get older, they get fed into the same ideology, they get fed the same perspective, and they do the same thing for the generation that comes after them. So I guess it's contributed a lot in the sense that it starts from a very young age, and things that start from a young age, they're quite difficult to get out of, especially when you've been experiencing it for such a prolonged period of time. And I feel that. What about you, Cindy? Yeah, I definitely agree with what Albert said. I was actually going to add on to that as well. Um, 
in terms of like what you were saying about history and everything, I actually noticed it only when I came to uni, funny enough. Um, so I'm studying politics or international relations. And in my classes, um, we do have like a lot of Eastern European students as well as African African as well. But what I realized is that like most of the European students know so much about their own history. They learn so much about their history. But when you ask an African student to explain something, it's either we just know like surface area or just, you know, what I maybe came across one day, but like not in-depth knowledge. And I realize it's because our African history or the knowledge of what happened in Africa was kind of robbed of us um, in terms of the education system and just other aspects so i do think yes to answer your question you know um to a large extent the demonization of you know african culture is the reason why most of us africans um don't have the sense of pride or sense of identity because we don't actually know much about our own culture or history i think if we um you know could learn more about that we'd have more of an appreciation for it and we'd be able to even advocate for it um in the right spaces. So I do think it 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 um it's important now since we do, you know, know what the problem is, is to learn about our history so we're able to actually find ourselves in spaces or conversations where we can, you know, um proudly speak about Africa and promote Africa. Because until until you're proud of where you come from, until you understand where you come from, you will never be able to make the change that you want to change. So I think that's that's a a um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think that's something our generation should aim to achieve. That is improving our knowledge of where we come from, so we're able to actually incite um, the chats that we want to have the public. No, you know I haven't had much reason to disagree with either of you. Um, and just to extend on what Cindy just said, I come across this quote a few years back, and I can't recall which African um writer it was, but it was probably an African writer who said that if you want to take away, you know, a people's culture, um, you you take away their language. I think it might have been Siti Dangaremka in nervous conditions, but I'm not entirely sure. And I I think that just speaks volumes, and we see it even in our Zimbabwean schools. Um, especially at, I can't speak for government schools and public schools, but definitely with private schools. You know, it's sort of like speaking Shano and Debele is sort of, it's, it's, it's frowned upon. Um, you know, and also, you, obviously, you hear all these stories about in girls' schools about how, um, black girls are treated, about how they, you know, take care of their hair. And hair is a major part of your identity, especially as an African. Um, it's heavily linked to your identity um, as an individual and us as a collective. And you, you see all these little sort of negative markers along the way that at first glance are, well, they don't have much impact, but really they do the exact opposite in that they sort of prevent us from getting to know ourselves. And how can we, okay, I look at Pan-Africanism as sort of like a potluck or, or a gathering, right? And at a potluck or any party, you need to sort of bring something to the table. But how can we bring something to the table when we don't know what our recipe is? We don't know, you know, what's in our kitchen and, and so on. And that's why I think it's very important to sort of um, mobilize the youth with knowledge. Because like Cindy and Albert have been trying to so eloquently articulate, you know, knowledge is power. 
and without knowledge of self, you know, it's, it's very hard to really make the progress that we want. Like, um, there's this quote that says that if you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you know yourself, then you don't have to worry about the enemy on the outside. That's the sort of problem that going back to what Cindy was talking about, about, you know, us being independent and uh, self sort of driven in, in Africa is that in order for us to be resistant to, to pressure from the Western countries and even Eastern countries, Russia, China, etc., we need to be able to prop ourselves up. And if we can't do that, then there's not much chance for that. And that sort of leads into my final question, which is what kind of world do you think we're set to inherit from our parents' generation? And what's the outlook for those who come after us? Okay, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it is a deep question. <laughs> it is. But um, I will try to go off with the, the answer for that. But do you think that... I think we're... I don't know. I think it'd be like, you know, generation since But I do think we're pretty special in the sense that we, we're kind of like um, on the fence of you know, being part of the 20th century and then being part of the future world where we have all this technology and all this knowledge, all these resources. But I do think um, our parents' generation has actually left us a pretty strong foundation um, in the sense that, you know, we find ourselves being able to express ourselves a lot more, find ourselves being able to even have um, conversations a lot more you know speaking on things like racism speaking on things like how we were affected by slavery even not directly but you know we know people that were and I do think that from us we are able to express ourselves a lot better than our parents could we have the resources we have the knowledge as well so going into future future generations I think we have the capacity to actually lay an even stronger foundation or like maybe build up on that foundation um, in the sense that we are the ones starting up these conversations. We are the ones, you know, speaking more about movements like Pan-Africanism. Um, I'd never heard that until probably two years ago, for example. So I do think, I'm sorry, I do think there is progress being made um, as we go further. And I do, I actually have pretty high hopes for um, Africa and just the journey that we're taking in terms of, you know, the end goal being Africa being for Africa and supporting Africa. Yeah. I agree. Um, what about you, Albert? What's your take on it? Where do you think our future lies? Um, okay. So despite the fact that I said earlier on that, you know, our, our heritage and our culture is sort of dying down because of the education system, but at the same time, we do live in a world of digital technology and a world of information and internet and so many verified resources that you can use to learn these things as well. So despite the fact that it is dying out, again, this just dates back to what I was saying earlier about each and every one of us playing a part. If, if you didn't learn it um, when you were younger and you... And you, as an, and you as an individual, you see that it's becoming an issue or something that's being widely spoken about each and every day. You do have the ability to just, you know, go to your phone, go on the internet, read on the topic a bit, understand what it's about, and 
just like what Cindy said early on, our parents did set a good foundation for us in the sense that a lot of these things uh, we were taught in our homes for the most part. And although the foundation is strong, right, we also have to carry on, you know, with that battle. But then, if we're being honest, it is kind of easier for us, really, because although oppression, racism is obviously still a huge issue in today's world, it's not nearly as bad as it was when our parents were basically our age, even younger, for example. So I guess in terms of speaking out and raising that awareness for the future generation, we are going to find it easier to speak on these things because there's also there's also a lot of support that seems to be growing, even from people who aren't African, you know, people who care about these issues. And because of that support system that's being presented in the 21st century, it's only going to get better from there, the way I see it. All right, thank you. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But I'd just like to thank Cindy and Albert for joining us once again. And I hope this isn't the last we hear from you. It's been my pleasure chopping it up with the two of you. And you're always welcome back. But until then, this has been episode four of the General Consensus Podcast. And you'll hear from us soon. Take care.